0: Hello, Andrew, and thanks very much for giving us some time to speak with Blue Notes and ANZ News. You have a role with ANZ, but you're not a chief medical officer or chief health officer as employed by ANZ. It's a role that's sort of starting to emerge, and we're seeing it in a lot of corporates. But can you talk about just what your role is and how it fits with ANZ?
1: Of course, Andrew. There's a bit of a history with uh, Chief Medical Officer roles um, in Australia. I think it'd be fair to say there's a changing dynamic here. Uh, maybe a decade ago or longer, many of the larger, particularly multinational companies, might have had an in-house CMO. And some of our very largest organizations still do have an in-house CMO. But it went out of, um, it went out of fashion for a while. And I think the, the COVID pandemic has given it some new legs. Uh, and some new need for organizations to be able to tap into medical expertise, particularly driven by the um, 12 months ago when there was so much unknown about this pandemic, Uh, they wanted a source of information, a source of knowledge. Uh, It's been very uh, widely described as a social media epidemic. of course, this COVID pandemic, Uh, and so organizations need a source of truth, one, to Uh, discuss the information being correct that they can then pass on to their employees, but also to help drive business continuity uh, and to help plan for the future as we've gone through these different phases of the pandemic, including return to office, returning to factory, uh, the vaccination rollout, of course, that we're heavily involved in now, and what will come probably in the second half of this year or maybe early next year is the return to travel, both domestic and international for multinational organizations. I think the in-house requirement perhaps uh, hasn't returned, but certainly that the focus has come back to health as crucial to risk management and business continuity, Uh, and I think that that's where um, we have provided benefit to ANZ Bank. I'm very careful in my dealings with the bank and, and explaining this role that it's not Me, as the chief medical officer for ANZ, what we're offering is a solution. The organization I work for, uh, we have specialists in other areas. And if ANZ come to me with a health issue uh, that I can't answer, I will use the team or our global assets across our business to provide um, answers for ANZ Bank. And I think that the big change that I've seen is uh, coming from an organization that has worked in the area of risk mitigation particularly around travel, but also to a lesser degree in the occupational health space, uh, we we were dealing mainly with HR uh, and uh, safety people. Because of pandemic and because of the overwhelming importance the pandemic has had for business and business continuity, we're now talking to a different level of individual within the organization. We're talking to a lot more risk managers. We're talking to a lot more CFOs and CEOs, providing them Uh, up-to-date information about where we're heading, heading, up-to-date information about where the vaccine rollout is heading, and up-to-date information about things that may affect their workforce. And I'm particularly talking about, for example, uh, a mental health policy uh, and how working from home or a hybrid model or having to homeschool your children has affected many employees in terms of their their mental health and their anxiety levels, and how we could either mitigate that or how we could support that as an organisation. So I think that's um, a very long answer to your question, but I think we've moved away from the traditional company GP into a someone or an organization that can provide up-to-date information uh, on the pandemic, uh, up-to-date information on specific issues, and help to mold policy in areas connected to the health and well-being of an organization. I think the other driver, too, though, is that employees now demand from their employer of choice, an organization that protects their well-being, protects their workforce, and takes an interest in health care. Um, and I, I think in the last five or 10 years, we've definitely seen an increased focus by large organizations on employee welfare and well-being. And the driver being that the managers want the employees to think of their organisation as the employer of choice for that individual.
0: And so you're not an ANZ employee. Your company provides services to ANZ and obviously to a range of other companies as well. Correct, yes. And you talk about that that sort of more historic role as a company doctor, for example, are there, is there still a role for someone in-house or do you think it is, is better to be able to draw on a much broader level of expertise like what your organisation is offering?
1: Well, I think the, the attractiveness for the ANZ about what we're offering is that you're not limited to someone with a defined scope of practice or a defined area of knowledge. Uh, you're really buying into an ability to provide a solution for a health-related issue. And it may be in the area of education information dissemination, upskilling of your workforce in certain areas, talking about, as I have done for ANZ Bank, in your, for your overseas employees, the, the vaccine rollout campaigns in PNG, for example, or in the Philippines. And we provided information for their staff there and guided the managers how they could integrate with the public health system in those countries, which is very different, of course, to the public health system in Australia. And I think that level or that breadth of knowledge or information dissemination is beyond a single individual. Uh, I think the the old-fashioned CMO really was the company GP that talked to and dealt with people perhaps on a one-to-one basis, but we're offering more here. We're offering uh, areas in policy development. We're offering expertise in individual issues, and we're uh, really offering an ability for management within your organization, within ANZ Bank, to reach out to someone medical who can provide some guidance or expertise in any health related area? Um, it's not to say that I haven't become involved in some one to one discussions with the ANZ, and we're happy to do that, but it's not at the old-fashioned GP level. We, you know, I'm not seeing people who are unwell within ANZ Bank
0: mm. as a second
1: opinion to their local GP. But particularly with COVID, where we've had uh, lists of vulnerable vulnerable characteristics for people that have been produced, I have done some engagement on a one-to-one level with some staff to really qualify for them what level of risk they are exposed to in different scenarios. They might have a medical vulnerability in relation to COVID-19. And they may be moving down the road or returning to office or retur- returning to the, um, to the site. Uh, uh, and there's been some discussion about qualitative risk one-to-one. And I, I think that's within our area of expertise, our area of re- responsibility, but we're not offering GP services to the employees of ANZ Bank. That would, be, that would be outside our brief.
0: In fact, it's a much um, broader ambit on a, a number of levels there because we are talking about risk at one level in the organisation and organisations generally, and particularly banks, are much more aware now of operational risks. But you're also talking about making the organisation, not just ANZ but other organisations, places where people want to work and where people want to work tend to be organisations that are much more aware now of the overall wellness of individuals. Is that the sort of broader ambition for this? uh,
1: Absolutely. And certainly in our engagement with ANZ, that is something that is on the agenda. At the moment, of course, we're still um, neck deep in the COVID pandemic, even though Australia has been extremely fortunate uh, or or planned well for a threat to Australia. I mean, no current community transmission, very little community transmission. We're we're in a good place. But we're we're still heavily involved, of course, in the pandemic and in the planning for as things change. It's still very much focused around the vaccines. And as I said, I I see later in this year, it will become much more focused on um, travel policies and how do we provide duty of care to our employees who we're we're asking to travel, either as international assignees or as business travellers. But I think, yes, the focus has become much more on providing a psychologically safe workplace, uh, and developing and promoting resilience in the workforce and, and methods to do that and to achieve those goals. I think the word resilience is probably overused, but I think um, it, it's an important newish or newer concept or newer aim for senior managers to um, uh, to promote the ability of the workers or, or the people who report to that particular line manager to bounce back from adversity and how we can improve resilience. And so some of that uh, is included in um, down the track in what we're hoping to, to provide for ANZ Bank, and under the broad agenda of the mental health agenda.
0: And we see this in society more generally. I mean, obviously politically, we've seen some, um, you know, high-profile coverage in the media. But it is something that organisations generally are taking seriously. How how do they make their workplaces safer? How do they make them more resilient? In the work that you're doing more broadly, what is it that constitutes a, a safe, resilient organisation where people's well-being is given a priority?
1: Look, I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I think that this is not just a trend. I think this has been happening for quite a while. Employees are now demanding or expecting of their employer to provide a safe workplace or to show some interest in those aspects of their life that involves them coming to work and them contributing to the organization. Uh, I think boards are now asking for evidence. Uh, and I think shareholders are asking for evidence that they want to see the company as adopting best practice principles in certain areas. And health and safety is now including mental health and safety. Uh, and so that mental health agenda has moved away from something that might be a term and condition of the employee, and, and the cliche, of course, is you know, yoga on a Friday lunchtime, into something where the, the mental well-being of the workforce is taken into consideration. Uh, and, and the obvious example here is in the debates that we're having, not just with ANZ Bank, but all organisations are facing this in, a, in the model of returning to work. You know, the feedback is that many people are productive at home. Uh, Many people don't want to come back to the same sort of working space or the same sort of working environment they did pre-COVID. And what we're told is that most organisations are looking at some kind of hybrid model. So you're in the office some days in the week, you're at home for other days of the week. And I think this is a very this needs to be managed quite carefully. Uh, some, uh, some managers, some senior leaders are really quite dogmatic. Everybody must come back to work. Others are much more laissez-faire if they're able to be um, delivering their product. Okay, if it's working for you to work from home, let's continue to do that. But in the end, most organizations are going to adopt some kind of hybrid model. And, and it, this is uh, partly driven by the expectations of the employee, but also needs to be driven by the expectations of the employer I need to see productivity maintained. I need to see a contribution from these people and how we get best going to manage that balance between what the employee desires uh, and what is best for my business. And this will include some of these concepts of making uh, the, the workplace psychologically safe to the point that there's a new standard that's been announced, a new ISO standard. Most people on this call will be very familiar with the concept of international ISO standards. Uh, And next year, there will be a new ISO standard, 45003, called Psychological Safety in the Workplace. Uh, And that's certainly something that I've discussed already with with ANZ Bank, and whether it's something that we, we might look at as a roadmap towards achieving that goal. So, you know, I think that this is here to stay, and more and more organisations are assuming a level of responsibility for that aspect of the workplace that they may not have considered even five years ago.
0: I must admit that is something that I'm not aware of. I have a rough understanding of ISO standards, and they tend to be sort of technical standards for you know, technological processes and things. How would a standard like that work when you're trying to measure, you know, well-being in a workplace?
1: It's not direct measurements of well-being, but it's experts from around the world. And, and there's an Australasian group who have look, looked at the standard. Of course, it comes out of, uh, out of Europe and it started with the Europeans uh, and it's now in a draft version. And, and you, it, it requires looking at the, what the organization is currently providing in terms of the wellness agenda. Uh, it looks at what is best practice within that industry and what other organizations are doing. And it allows you a roadmap to achieving that level of performance or that level of delivery of of that agenda um, that is modeled across the international space um, amongst your peers and amongst other organizations of a similar size. So like all standards, it provides a benchmark to see where you're at uh, in in terms of what you're doing. And so uh, as with all these standards, the first step, of course, is to review what you're currently doing and then to see what gaps you might have to bring yourself up to that standard and then to, to model a way of achieving uh, that or, or narrowing that gap between what you're currently delivering and what the standard is asking you to deliver. It's, um, it, it's probably a it's, – it's not a quick fix. The ISO have given uh, companies till – next year before accreditation starts, so that's 2022. Uh, It was released in December of last year. So basically, organizations have been given 12 months to look at what they're doing and to model a roadmap towards achieving uh, what the standard is asking. So it's it's not a a, a slow process. Um, It needs to be quite planned, but I think uh, without getting too bogged down in ISO and what ISO is trying to achieve, it is an agenda and a benchmark that demonstrates that um, psychological safety in the workplace is increasingly important.
0: And when we look at a particular aspect of it, and that's this very live debate that you refer to around uh, the workplace of the future, the hybrid model of working from home and coming into the office, uh, clearly this is something that's been sort of worked out as we progress. So from from your perspective, how do you look at it? Uh, I mean, we can all perhaps see the advantage of, this, of working from home in terms of productivity, but then you miss the social aspect and you miss the cultural element and you miss the ability to, to do those informal sessions where you are creative. So
1: from your perspective, how do
0: you think about it?
1: Well, look, I think the, there's no one size fits all. Uh, every organisation has a different product every organization works in a different way. And so it has to be a, the right fit for your organization. Uh, and there's no there's no one size fits all. And it has to be the balance between expectation of the employer and expectation of the employee. Uh, and then this, this has to be balanced, I guess, always with the responsibility an employee has to the employer. So these things are always going to be a discussion and there needs to be the ability for the discussion to take place. Uh, and I think dogmatism is going to end up in system, system failure. So we, have to, we always have to be flexible. Um, but we're, we're tiptoeing through this. I, I think this is an interesting agenda for workplaces to have to start to think about. And, you know, the, the, the outcome will be a balance between those different requirements. Um, and, you know, we have tight medical and confidence legislation in Australia. We also have tight workplace health and safety legislation in Australia. And these two things always need to be balanced. You know you cannot be shown to discriminate against an individual for medical reasons, but also the the employee, uh, the employer has to provide a duty of care to the worker and so has to take these things into consideration when they 're planning for the model of business delivery um, and, and so uh, it, it's uh, it 's an emerging Post in a way, it's an emerging post-pandemic issue, or this pandemic has really brought this issue to a head. And it's quite interesting the different approaches organisations are taking, and um, I'm, uh, you know, and Zed will be taking a position too, and um, I will be helping to guide the, the the medical aspects of those decisions they're making.
0: Well, thank you, Edward. I mean, it's been absolutely fascinating discussion, and clearly the role that that you're playing is is quite vastly different now to to an old, the old company GP. But, and it's certainly something we'd perhaps be keen to talk to you about in the future. But thanks for your, your time today and, and thanks again for a fascinating conversation.
1: Absolute pleasure. Thanks very much, Andrew. Thank you for listening to Blue Notes. This podcast was produced by the Blue Notes editorial team with music by Kevin McLeod. Blue
0: Notes is a publication of ANZ Banking Group.